0: Today on the Priority Queue, intent-based networking. What is it? What's it good for? What's the technical reality? Is it sort of like, Alexa, make me a network, and then magically a network appears just like the one you always wanted it to be? Yeah, sort of. I mean, in actuality, there's a lot more to intent-based networking than that. There are APIs and message buses and abstraction layers and event handling and state enforcement and compliance reporting and so on. Put another way, intent-based networking is kind of hard, especially when you try to handle complex networks of size and multi-vendor environments. To talk about intent-based networking today, we bring you a sponsored show with Appstra. Appstra has brought an intent-based networking product to market and is garnering a ton of attention now that intent-based networking is capturing the imaginations of networkers. Joining us today from Abstra is Sasha Ratkovic, Derek Winkworth, and Doug Gourlay, all of whom I believe have been guests on the Packet Pushers Network before. So guys, let's jump right into the discussion here. We want to figure out, uh, first of all, what intent-based networking is good for and why the industry cares. So, so maybe we need to start with a, with a definition. Define
1: for us intent-based networking. So the problem uh, intent-based networking is trying to solve is, like, how do I compose and reconcile business requirement for network service? on top of capability-rich and diverse network infrastructure and all of that in the presence of change. And the change is going to be there because there is going to be change in business rules and there is going to be change in uh, you know, innovation and features that vendors will support and the way you consume those features. Intent-based networking is an approach to this that relies on specification of user intent which is a declarative specification of desired outcome and in this case network service
0: so give us a real simple uh, description there so you said you said a lot of technical words mm-hmm. you know declarative and so on all of which paint a picture so break it down to an example
1: well let's say I'm trying to um, specify intent to support five thousand servers in my data center network and I want to have over subscription ratio of two to one and I want to take routing of the uh, leaves uh, <clears throat> and I want to to work with certain profiles of devices and I want to include certain uh, array of vendors and models. That would be specification of an
2: intent. Mm-hmm. So really it's about this idea that I think that most network engineers are like intent engineer, like intent. They take the intent, the business says, I want to connect this server to the network and then all of a sudden you work out, well, if I connect the server to the network, I know that that server is running this app and therefore I need to configure the network this way. That's the intent. Correct. It's, and it's up to the network engineer to determine or make that up or to listen to that, to hear it, and turn it into something useful.
3: Think, think about the way it probably happens today. Yep. Right? Like, uh, Sasha said, you get, hey, I'm building an app. This app needs a lot of servers. So what do you do? You go, Well, what boxes do I want to buy? You go buy some boxes. How do I want to plug them in? You hopefully plug it in right. Hmm. What configuration do I need to express that will allow those boxes plugged in that way to do the job I want? Hmm. Those are the three core variables that most people deal with today at a very simple level, like the, the minimal variable. Mm. What boxes, how are they cabled, what my config looks like. The goal of that configuration is to achieve some intent. Mm. Today, the network guy meets with the app guy, meets with the CIO, meets with the line of business person. He goes, okay, what do you really want? Mm. And makes those decisions. What if those decisions could be automated. What if you could say I need for this application, like Sasha said, 5000 servers, 4 to 1 oversubscription, four uplinks, four way spine click go, and it doesn't matter what boxes you picked. It verifies that they're actually cabled right. Right. It verifies that those boxes will meet the goal of that oversubscription So ratio. there's some
2: automation in here? A
3: tremendous amount.
2: And but it's, it's not a it's not intelligence. Not, but it can't be a fixed path automation. It can't be like a, you know, you put the, you know, Rube Goldberg machine where you put the the marble yeah. in the top and it goes tick, 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 tick. I've and, heard of these and the, you know, the little thing goes round and round in circles. Very and popular in Tasmania. Uh, it, but it's all fixed, right? There's no deviation from the machine that you've made. And that's like your Python scripts and your Ansible shell, salts, you know salt stack and all that sort of stuff. That's kind of the automation. But what we need is something where if I'm configuring brand A switch and brand B switch, I actually need my, my automation to dynamically adapt to the different hardware or if, virtual switches what or... What if brand didn't matter? Yeah. What if
3: configuration was an expression of intent, not the other way around? Right. Today, I write my config, I hope it works. With intent-based networking, I describe my intent and then based on cabling, mm. boxes, it creates the configuration dynamically based on the vendors I've selected.
2: Right. So that means I have now got this sort of fluid situation where I've got a goal-based architect, a goal. The the business says, my goal is to have these servers connected and talk to each other. But underneath that, you're working out things like VLANs, layer three routing interfaces, first hop redundancy protocols. Let's be blunt. A business doesn't care about the vendor you pick, Hmm. the
3: first hop redundancy. They care about cattle and pets. Hmm. There are cattle applications that I will scale out and scale back. I will kill them if they die because they are stateless applications. Mm. There are PET applications. These are stateful. These are mm. databases. OLTP transaction processing, big back-end data stores. I need reliability and redundancy for these. I care about my business application, its availability, and its performance. We're
0: talking about two different kinds of things here, though. We're talking about an engineer's perspective on intent, which is... I need a network to look like X to solve a business problem, but then there's a business's intent, which is I have a business problem and I need the network to solve that, and it sounds like we've been talking about both things. So are we talking about both things? You're talking about
1: both things. Absolutely. Hmm.
3: You know what, if... if if any company builds a business that is completely geeked out only and has no business relevance, it will not be a company for
2: a lot. <laughs> it's not making a profit. Exactly. Because you're spending all your time.
3: If The only way you will achieve absolute real relevancy in the world is to solve business problems for people.
0: Mm. So- but, okay, but what is intent-based networking? Where does it take us that we haven't been before? In other words, what's new here? So is it just that the automation piece is new? I could be an engineer sitting here going, I've been building networks that solve business problems my whole career. What, sure. why,
3: why do I care about this? Today, I will guarantee in the majority of environments, the lowest, unfortunately, I, I, I disagree with this, but the lowest paid person on the networking totem pole is probably CLI bound, knows one vendor, mm-hmm. and is the primary reason a, f- a particular vendor is selected for a network it's not that the vendor delivered the best availability it's not that that vendor had the best system it's that my staff was trained on vendor x
0: so
2: i'm going to buy vendor x because they know how That's to work because i can't train my junior engineers to do something different
3: why should the most junior engineer in the organization be responsible for a commercial decision that sometimes is seven to nine figures
1: mm. And so far, we have been only talking about one aspect of intent-based networking, which is automation, and we talked a lot about configuration.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But actually, when we push configuration and devices, well, I accepted it, we don't stop there. Actually, that's just a small piece of what intent-based networking is about. What's even more important is for you to define what are the expectations that should be met before the service is declared operational, which means how do I tie telemetry and expectations and auto-generation of anomalies after this configuration is pushed? Now, to do that, you have to be able to reason about this intent and reason about it in, in scale, meaning when this intent can be a huge amount of data. And that part was actually quite difficult to achieve. Yeah,
0: th- 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 there's a lot of things there. So one, this is a question <laughs> I actually wanted to ask and clarify for people. Is intent-based networking just a clever way to say configuration management? Which is a discussion that we've had no, before, a- and absolutely. there's a lot more
4: to it than that. Yeah, absolutely not. It's it's, it's more than that. So um, think of it this way, right? There's we've had this thing called control systems theory for decades and decades that has you know I mean everything in in actual engineering and science boils down to well-designed feedback loops, and whether or not um, we call it control systems uh, theory or not, every every major scientific breakthrough that had any practical meaning in our Lives boils down to a well-designed feedback loop, meaning you have some control, right? That has parameters, and that control has some actuation into what's called a plant. In this case, we're talking about the network is the plant. So you have uh, mechanisms reaching into the network that influence its behavior. They they control configuration, they control routing, they control flows, they control you know whatever it is, and then they have telemetry coming back from the plant or from the network. In this case, going back into that mechanism right and that mechanism has to understand what that telemetry should be in, in order to understand what the network should be doing or the plant should be doing so to okay. speak
2: so so let me use a car metaphor there right so if i'm hammering down if i'm driving down the motorway at 70 miles an hour and all of a sudden my car starts to do 75 miles an hour i see my telemetry my speedo and i go ooh i'm going too fast i take my foot off the accelerator and i slow back down to 70 miles an hour that's a feedback loop a i'm accelerating down the road The telemetry tells me that I've exceeded the maximum threshold. I take my foot off the accelerator to slow it down so that then feeds into the speedo. I check the speedo. I'm at 70, so I hold my foot steady. That's a feedback loop. That's exactly how it works. In networking, we don't have feedback loops. We have routing protocols that refresh the data regularly. Or if I configure something, how do you know it works? You ping it to see if it works.
0: It's not that we don't have feedback loops. It's that it's
4: been historically difficult to pull the information back out of the systems to know where we're at. Well, historically, it's been it's been network engineers that close the loop. Yes. And that's insane because network engineer networks are you know, we, we take for granted as network engineers just how complicated networks really are. And the fact that we use people to close that loop is kind of
3: crazy. Yep. Well, guys, when every queue is different sized across vendors, when the measurement of the queue fill rate is inconsistent, when it, this is like saying I have six different cars with six different speedometers that have six different units of measure for the speedometer, and my roads have a seventh. Yep. And so you know, you're saying, I can look, at it goes 70, and I say I'm 75, but one is 75 kilometers, one is 75 meters per second, and one is 75 miles an hour. Which one matters? Yes. Mm. That's the world the network engineers have been dealing with is the inconsistency between vendors, therefore an inability to consistently deliver business value. Whether well, it's this not was just configs, about multi-vendor,
2: though. It's hardware. about multiple platforms in a single vendor. But it's also about just the sheer... There's, there's transitions here in complexity. Like We've gone from running 20 network devices or 50 network devices to running 200. And if you start calculating in Wi-Fi access points on campus networks and in data centers, you've got virtual, oh God, you know, virtual hypervisors. You've gone from you know 200 physical servers to 1,200 virtual servers in the space of five years. You've got a networking... The number of networking devices in networks have just gotten way more complicated.
3: You know, the thing I think this lets us do, and it kind of back to Sasha's point for a second, was in the the U.S. government they have the Federal Federal Information Security Management Act, right? wonderful piece of legislation, I'm sure. <laughs> um, it states that the government needs to certificate and accredit a application before they put it into production, and they need to define the risk associated, so it's a risk-based model associated with this particular application. Mm. Really what I believe Sasha was getting to is when you have an intent-based system, you will actually be able to certify and accredit the infrastructure, not just the security, that this application runs on. You'll be able to say this app has the right latency, bandwidth, closed-loop telemetry, availability, availability, and a variety of other features necessary to support that app.
0: Yeah, you're talking about the characteristics of the network that are uh, what would be required to, as you put, certify uh, that an app can run across that infrastructure. And and remember when I first
3: said, the, the lowest level is what boxes I have, how they're cabled, and what I want this network to look like. When you go up one level above that, we're talking about what are the latency, what is the bandwidth, what is the queue depth. You start going up other levels. What is the availability what are the reconvergence okay. times upon failure when you combine the totality of those metrics we're now talking about you know a second generation progressing towards really you know third generation type of intent based networking system This is, I can actually certify an infrastructure for a specific business application, or or many of them.
0: Again, because the intent, you describe what you need the network to do, and then you've got that feedback loop, uh, telemetry and other sorts of data coming back out of the network that certify, it is behaving the way I intend. Yeah.
3: And normalized, as Greg said, not just across vendors, which I'm using as a gross example, Mm -hmm. but across platforms within a vendor. I could have a network that is Catalyst 4900s, Catalyst 6500s, the new Catalyst 9000, Arista 7500s, and Arista 7048s, Mm. and make a determination as to whether that aggregated infrastructure is capable of supporting my business applications requirements. Day one, can it? Day two, can this part of it? Day three, for the specific application, have I placed the containers or virtual machines or bare metal workloads yeah. on the right systems to meet the business expectations of performance of my business application?
0: Okay, so before we go down the road of the stack, um, one thing we got we to bring up here. We talked about multi-vendor. We talked about uh, different platforms within the same vendor. What which about is more complex than multi-vendor what, I mean, sometimes. What, what does this mean for disaggregation? In other words, if I want to start rolling my own network with white box and a NOS of choice, does intent play into that? Does it matter?
1: Well, it's even, it's even more applicable uh, because, again, I believe intent-based networking, the most important problem it solves is this composability at scale. And the question is, how do you compose a set of white boxes which may have different uh, you know, support for protocols so the whole point of intent-based networking is actually how do we bring all these features and uh, have them be driven by uh, intent? Mm. this.
3: I, I would argue that with an intent-based system, your ability, your freedom to choose a disaggregated model or a white box model or a mainstream vendor model, you gain that opportunity.
0: Because it becomes more an issue of can I interface with that system, whatever the system is, and you somewhat abstract away the differences. In other words, like we were talking about the choice early on mm. of, I know this CLI, so I'm going to pick that vendor. Exactly. That, that goes away, because now you're interacting with the intent-based system, and the platform underneath, you can choose for different reasons other than what the operator needs.
3: The intent-based system will dynamically construct the appropriate configuration for the box to meet the business expectations mm. of that series right. of applications
2: running so that on that box. So that means you get an intent... So let me, let me break it down into an example that I think I used occasionally. If I think of intent-based networking... I, I've got an endpoint I'm connecting to the network like a server. So I've got to plug that into a port. And that port. What's on the server? An app. What, what app? Could be anything. Cats. It has a printed circuit academies? board. It could be a cat. Lots of images. You know. yes. I mean, Lots what does Greg
3: like? Greg likes cats and <laughs> kangaroos. Greg likes
2: cats. I like iPad apps. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like dank memes, mostly. Dank memes, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
3: so okay. Dank I thought
2: you like right. cats. Uh, w- so, impo- so I've got a server and an app, and I'm plugging it into an Ethernet port. Now, the next decision is a network engineer that I have did to make Did you plug this- it in the right port or the wrong port? I so just, so I'm just curious. That's just one of them, right? It's a very important question. Exactly. The second question is, what VLAN should the port be in? That question, did you plug it in the right port or wrong port, predicates us. And then the question is, what are the default spanning tree settings for that port? And then you have to decide, is the VLAN on that switch or do I need to create it on the switch? And then I have to decide if it's going to trunk that VLAN up to the next switch or do I need to configure an L3 interface for that? So all of those things are like policy things. So we, your network architect defines your network policy that says, this is your spanning tree settings for, for BPDU guard and all those things. And that's the policy that you'll put on an edge port. And this is the spanning tree policy for a trunk port. And you'll have guidelines for allocating VLAN IDs and IP address allocations. That's all policy. So intent to me is partly about, I want to connect this server to the network so that it can transfer data with other servers in the appropriate zone. But there's all these policy bits associated with it about creating VLANs and spanning trees and, you know, that sort of, and Q-buffers, QoS, if you're into QoS, but um, I'm not a big fan of QoS. I've already
3: gone deep enough into enough networking technology that people probably have to have at least a master's to get this podcast.
2: That's right. <laughs> but you know, you think about it, and so what we're saying with intent is that intent says I could automate, we'll talk more about the mechanics of this in a minute. We'll get Sasha to talk about graph theory and stuff and how this is actually done. But intent is saying like if I plug something into a port, there's a whole bunch of well known, well understood policy that if I could just assemble the policies together in the right order and then do those configurations, I could work this out pretty simply. Yeah, that's right. So you, you would have, and
4: again, Sasha will, will, will no doubt go into this in greater detail, but you have this reference architecture. And, and, you know, if you think about like the hierarchy, right, there's architecture, there's design, there's implementation, right, and there's operations or, you know, there's some variation of of, um, of hierarchy like that. Well, you have some reference architecture, and within that architecture, you have these design patterns that repeat, And these design patterns are composed of well-understood things, things that we've dealt with our whole life, like um, routing adjacencies, routing, you know, uh, sessions, like BGP Hmm. neighbors, things like that, OSPF adjacencies, whatever it may be, VLANs, uh, you have... Um, forwarding plane-related features, ACL, QoS, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. So if we have all these well-understood constructs um, in the context of some design pattern, which is, again, uh, further in the context of some reference architecture, then what Intention allow you to do is um, have those design patterns repeat as required as you perform operations.
0: Okay, but but does intent allow me to actually break free of traditional protocols to get things done in a way we hadn't thought of yet or wouldn't be able to do uh, because we're trained and used to using BGP and OSPF? Could I complete my intent and allow the system to figure out a forwarding using n- non-traditional technologies? Static routes? static routes. Ooh.
1: Yes, I mean, you know, the bottom line is that, first of all, intent-based systems should be not opinionated, which means you can you know, decide to use traditional protocols, but there's not... Can I you one second? Yes, please.
3: If intent-based systems are designed to be not opinionated, why are they on this podcast with Greg and Ethan?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not opinion, it's perspective. <laughs> so you see what I'm saying, though, Sash? Yeah. I
0: mean, in theory, if I get to a point where I tell the network, where I tell the intent-based system what I want from the network... I don't care how it's accomplished. Exactly.
1: Do, right? Exactly. So again, intent holds this whole information about the infrastructure, the state of the infrastructure, the state of the policy. So you have enough information, and intent-based system gives you ability to reason about it in programmatic fashion so that you can actually get all the answers that you
2: need to, to, to set the systems correctly. Hmm. So how do we do that? Like, I'll, no, I've got one more question before we jump into the mechanics of that. Is intent-based networking SDN, or is it kind of SDN involved? So we've talked over the last several years about software-defined networking as a thing, but is it post-SDN? Does it, it take SDN to its natural extension? Can I, I want to answer no. that. I, I want to I assert my opinion here.
3: I want to jump across the table and... Mm. Never mind. All right. <laughs> well, mm, that's a long leap. Uh, so... I think I think
4: uh, as far as whether or not intent-based networking is SDN, um, you know, we get this question all the time: Are you guys SDN or not SDN? And and you know, we have and there's people with very strong opinions. Well, you're not SDN because you're, you know, because with intent you could still be using BGP and VLANs, and that's not SDN. And then we have other people saying, well, it's software-driven. You're we're expressing our intent, and then the system drives underneath. Um, Our answer is well it's been, it's my understanding and certainly Sasha can correct me, but, um, I don't care if you call us SDN or not. We don't claim to be SDN. Our, what our goal is, is to make it easier for network engineers to get stuff done. Mm. And, uh, and if, if that, if you want to call that SDN, then so be it. If, uh, uh, we don't really care what the, what the label is. Um, it's, but it is quantitatively different than what the thrust of SDN has been. And, Mari, our uh, our marketing person, the other day tweeted something that which I I'm I'm very fond of. She said, um, "You know, SDN was about vendors making money, and intent-based networking is about enabling network engineers. If you remember Mm. when SDN came out, it was Mm. it was very." Uh, you know, there, there's no hiding it. I mean, they were very anti-network engineer, right? Mm. And, and with intent, intent-based networking, it's not that way. It's about helping network engineers get stuff
3: done, not pretending
4: they can go away, magically disappear, right? Yep.
3: That's Actually, the- I, 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 I want to just pile on, and that way I, I don't jump across the table. You know, we had a, a major networking vendor uh, just the other week be quoted going, SDN stands for still does nothing. We've had, you know, SDN, you know, bluntly... Intent-based networking, to me, is what SDN should have been. Yes. It was the goal of SDN. It was the real goal people actually wanted to achieve, which was, can I describe my network in a high-level software language? Can I reprogram it dynamically to do what I want? And can I actually get away from the specifics of vendor A versus vendor B and platform 1 versus platform 2? And I think what happened, and it was an unfortunate... Intentional bad pun perversion of SDN was when one, it got too latched on to a particular singular protocol, two, vendors came in and warped SDN to be what they needed SDN to be, which was an excuse for a sales call, and, an excuse to talk yes, to them.
2: And then they tried to pitch SDN as a replacement for existing network engineers, as a way of justifying spending money on of promoting the sales process. Yeah, but uh, so I, I mean. So I can take your point, Derek. What you're sort of saying is it's is that it is the SDN that we probably wanted to have in the first place, which is using software to get an outcome, to simplify the hard parts about what, or the pointless parts of what we do. So Hard part, hard work is not a problem, but making it easier to do, but using software to do that. So it doesn't actually matter. So I want to jump past that then to say, Sasha, tell me more about how your software works. So we now we have talked, to, said, outlined the case for intent and the fact that it's going to be very much focused on an outcome focused, but there's so much sort of mystical magic that's going to go on this, you know, deriving intent and creating the, and working out what these policies are and then bonding the policies into a coherent form before they're executed as network change. So what is it about the abstract architecture that makes it unique?
1: Right. So, uh, again, if you were to summarize it in, in one sentence, it's that uh, in, in Abstra's case, intent is a single source of truth that uh, one can programmatically reason about. And there are a few words here that I'd like to explain. So, you know, single source of truth. First, the question is, why is there a situation that we have multiple sources of truth? Well, you have business rules, you have inventory system, you have configuration databases. And in the absence of single source of truth, you'll end up most of your time actually consolidating this data from different sources yep. with different semantics. And you'll spend most of your time doing very hard job of consolidating this data, which is not actually the domain problem. And you'll be likely to fail in that. In in Abstra's case, this uh, intent is a single source of truth that captures both systems
2: and services and policies and constraints. So what you're saying there is as a network engineer today, I go over to my DNS server and start looking for a list of subnets... (laughs) because they're all configured there and what domains are associated with them and what, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I go over to my um, DHCP server to see which scopes have been created. And then I go over to my spreadsheet and look at which VLANs have been allocated. And then I go over to my device to see what's actually configured because that's the the canonical source of of evidence, right? And then I've got to, as a network engineer, bring all those together inside of my head to decide what delta I need to apply, what configuration changes. You're saying Mm. that, intent-based, like the way the App Store software works is you bring all that together into a single database so that you then have all of the data in present in a single point or a single source of truth.
1: Correct. And on top of that, you can reason about it. Reason about it means you can ask questions and get answers that you need from this database. And right. you can reason about it in a programmatic fashion, which means you know, we all know in software, anything can be done. So you can say, well, I can reason about, you know, set of files and databases, mm. but you can reason about it by writing some scripts that are going to be fragile and that are going to be,
2: you know, susceptible to problems when there is a change. So you're talking about encoding logic in a Python script? Correct. Right. So that's not reasoning, that's linear. It might be branch-orientated, but it's fundamentally... It's reasoning, but it's it's dumb reasoning in, in that sense. It, what you're talking about is a more advanced sort of... Machine learning, artificial intelligence. Talking Greg,
3: Greg the, we have to hold on. The vodka, ice cream, and smoothies are here. <laughs> okay. There's cheesecake as well. Cheesecake yeah. too. Podcaster better with yeah, cheesecake. This is a good point. We should break this down. Even though people are running Python,
4: it's not a linear script where there. It's like a Python code that's being, you know, that's uh, being added to our agents. You know, to be run in a certain way. It's non-linear.
0: Okay, so we've been talking about how the system works, and it's all a bit abstract. Now, if I'm an engineer and I'm used to the old-school way of logging into individual devices and putting configurations on them, and I'm you guys are talking about intent-based, a single source of truth, the one place I go to see what my network is doing and how I interact with my network, what is that actually like? I mean, what are the maybe we should start with the components. What are the components of an intent-based system, the pieces that I'm actually dealing with on the network so that I I, give, give me that foundation so I can start thinking about how this would work in my actual network.
1: So it has basically two components. One of them is distributed state repository which holds the data and you as an engineer have ability to actually define the data and the second piece is processing meaning what do I do in reaction to changes to this data? So the pattern looks actually the same. So let me just give you an example. Let's say you're saying I want anytime a new link is added to my network, I need to, let's say, allocate IP addresses to the interfaces. Sure. Um, so you simply can can have a query uh, about your intent, which says, notify me when there is a new element in my uh, intent, which represents the link, uh, query the policy, which tells me, should I derive this link IPs from some pool, what that resource pool is, or should, should I specify them explicitly? So... Pretty much, what what network engineer has to do is, uh, you know, he always is going to deal with the same piece of code, which he's going to express this request in almost in English terms, like I did right now, and then through,
0: he, through like the abstract
1: interface there's correct. some kind of a GUI or right. a CLI or something that I'm interacting with. Exactly through through an interface, he's going to be able to express this request, which says, "Notify me when there is a new link," mm-hmm. and then there is going to be a piece of code which is he's going to say, "Well." Do I want to allocate this link ISP addresses from a resource pool or, or speci- allocate them specifically?
4: And that, That's just during provisioning, right? Mm-hmm. So Sure. Um, let, let's say something already exists, right? Um, like you, you're running VRRP, right? Um, and you want to know what's happening with VRRP. If you do it today, um, you have two or three routers participating in a VRRP process on your network. And you want to know what's happening in that process. There's standard information you're going to collect if something goes wrong. You're going to have to figure out which devices are, first of all, participating in that VRRP process. Um, And that may not be well documented, by the way. (laughs) So uh, you may only be aware of two of the three devices that are participating. And then once you have that information, then what do you need to really troubleshoot? Well, you need the real
2: IP address, the real MAC address, um, the interface number, the... You open up three SSH terminals, you type show VRRP on each device, and you attempt to reconcile the configurations to make sure that they're...
4: Yes, it's exactly right. And it's more than one command per device. It's not just one command. It's not like you type in, you log in a device and type, show everything verp, and you get everything that's useful that you need to troubleshoot. You have to type multiple commands. Um, It was something that's intent-based, that's modeled correctly. Um, all of that will be presented to you in a consolidated format, based on um, you know the, the system's understanding of what you're trying to achieve with those devices in the first place. You, it'll say, "Oh, look, you know, you're Why trying show you to run five v-
2: pages of v- of VRRP data when really what you care about is this IP address is it up and verped? Yes, exactly. Yes, And that's all you care about.
0: And again, this goes back to that closing of the loop where the distributed. Uh, database that holds all of this information is actively pulling telemetry from the system so it knows what the real-time state of VRIP is. It's not you doing show VRRP whatever the command is and then you getting back information and you parsing it. The system knows that. It can tell you exactly what it is because it's pulling all that information well, actively. Well, it's
2: not just the telemetry system. It's also the database. So the, the mechanism, the mechanics of the software behind it. There's two things and maybe, Sasha, if you could tell us a little bit about graph how a graph database allows you to to link any two elements together or or many elements together, and then also about how your software architecture itself unlocks a lot of the features that you have.
1: Right. So we use a variant of a graph model to represent our intent. And in this model, you simply have two types of objects. You have nodes and relationships. Nodes have types and properties. Relationships have types and their properties. So you can say... I have a you know, node spine that hosts the following set of interfaces. And yep. these interfaces have a relationship to links that link me to leaves.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Once you have this kind of graph, you can run a query that actually traverses this graph and gives you answers to sure. about the connectivity. And
2: now if you wanted to create VLANs on that interface, you can just point to other nodes in the graph and say, these VLANs are on this interface.
1: Correct. You can say I have customer Pepsi that has a, a, a virtual network marketing, which has endpoints on servers A, B, and C. These servers A, B, and C... Mm-hmm happen to be connected to leaves, X, Y, and Z, yep. and you have immediately all the information with all the resources available to you so you can render proper configuration.
0: Uh, again, not that you'd need to know that as an end user, as a consumer of the system. That just happens to be how it's working internally.
1: Correct. So uh, we didn't mention this before, but there, there are two users of AOS system, Operator Persona and the Developer Persona. So Operator Persona is the one who operates AOS, and he's playing it like in a console and gaming cartridge mode. He has some controls that he can play within a, within a constraints that are given to him, and he only makes some uh, corrective actions and he observes the state of the mm. system. But then there is developer persona, which actually develops this what we call reference design cartridges, which implement the translation from intent into how things are done, and this is where this
2: opinion takes place. But that's
1: all under the full control so, of a developer persona. So
2: that's a bit like when you get a game, when you buy a computer game, the first, you know the levels, say ten levels of the game are laid out for you, and you play them through. And some people say, right, that's enough for me and I'm off. I'm finished the game and I'm on to the next one. But some people want to go and get a game map and start developing their own maps. The game has done 80% of the work. You're producing a map for that last bit. It's like Grand Theft Auto
3: where they allow a lot of player-driven, player-developed content.
2: Yep. Mm. But the cars are all done for you. The game's all done for you. All of the mechanics is in place and you're just building out maps to make the the thing. Is that a fair... the, the
3: The abilities in the system from the first day to do... A very large number of the repeatable patterns that most networks are built around. But also the abilities in there to recognize that you might have unique requirements. And you need to create that unique connectivity pattern, that application
2: pattern that's going to work for you, and then repeat it as many times as you want. So your Grand Theft Auto car, you might want to have your car in pink with big fender benders, you can make that. If that works
3: Modern. for you, Greg, you can have you that You can car. make
2: your network model with big pink paint job and, and you know, big chrome bits on the Suicide side. Suicide
3: doors, lowered extended <laughs> axles, the chrome package, it's, just it's the way you to be like limits it. To
2: that, though. In other words, there's got to be
0: constraints on a system like this. So, for example, Apple with Siri. Um, if you're a developer for that platform, you actually have Siri intents, and there's a certain number of things that you can ask Siri, but they're limited. You're constrained by the things Siri understands. How constrained are we... You know, in the amstra environment how, how do we how do we express ourselves
1: so we are not I mean you can you can think of Siri being that operator persona, and there was developer persona that developed Siri and the and, and the and the commands that she can react to so right mm-hmm. now you have a developer persona that can build Siri application for networking
0: ah so in other words we're saying the developer can create a set of intents that allow us to build, as Doug, you were saying, those unique patterns that you need to be able to repeat in your
2: environment. In theory, you could build about anything.
1: Absolutely. So yeah. your
2: network help desk then could go and just literally click a button and a thing would happen just the same way. You know, Maybe there's some inputs about IP addressing and VLAN, whatever it is. But the network architect or the network engineer spends the most of um, her time... Configuring up the development part and saying this is the model, this is the policy, this is the sort of things we're expecting to see, and so you're really getting away from this CLI mastery to delivering value back to the business because all of a sudden you're working at faster templates, um, you know, solving more advanced problems like cost policies that go end to end across the network.
1: Correctly, yes. So exactly, developer persona. We help developer persona insert his expertise into the system. And he only focuses on the domain problem. Actually, oh. he doesn't have to worry about this accidental complexity of fetching the data right. from databases and things like that.
3: Well, Greg, th- think about, I mean, let me give you kind of two examples that you know, maybe will be illustrative of this. The, the first is a hyper non-realistic example. But let's say you have a data center, 1,000 racks, large spine, maybe multiple spines, whatever works for you. And somebody in procurement started off with Cisco switches, and you built it out. Then they bought Arista switches, and then you had to learn that. Then they bought Juniper switches, and then you had to learn that. Then they bought Cumulus and put it on top of Whitebox, and then you had to learn that. In the model Sasha's talking about, I can describe my goal one time, and whatever procurement goes and buys, I can plug in. And as long as I plug it in correctly, it'll work. But there's a second example, though, that's also worth considering. If my goal was to have a leaf switch... And that leaf should connect to four spines. And let's just say it should have one 40-gig connection to each spine switch. If I took one leaf and I connected it right, one link, 40 gigs, to each of the four different spines, and it's going to come up and work. If I took the second one and I connected all four ports to spine one, today, in almost every single network out there, it will also work. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's going all, to come yeah. up. Yeah. But let me ask you a question. Yeah.
3: How do you find that problem today? Yep. How do you look at that? What, what gives you an alert or alarm that says, that leaf switch yep. has 160 gigs of great
2: performing connectivity to the wrong box? Yeah. Mm. How actually, do you find that? I actually went through a customer <laughs> recently, and they actually found it through the application of an SDN platform. They literally put it in, all of a sudden the SDN platform went, this is the topology of your network. And they went, ooh, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) That picture's not right. Because usually
4: you know, the Mm. line card that they plugged all four ports in in the same box um, dies, and then people are like, wow, we lost an entire rack.
3: How did we find it? Change control. That's how we found it. Because unless you're doing a hard target CDP, LLDP crawl of the network Mm -hmm. like that SDN controller did... Mm you're not going to find those types of problems until they become your customers' problems. Yep.
1: So another example is, I mean, you know, we talk about <clears throat> reasoning about intent. So one aspect of reasoning is semantic validations. So for yep. example, we saw the AWS outage, which, was, which happened because there was no semantic validation of the change. But for example, you could put, easily put semantic validation in your system to say, well... I'm not going to allow people to have to put five spines in maintenance mode because you know one person can go and do, do one, the other one can do another. So you can actually put semantic validation about any insertion of intent, and you can also dynamically calculate some parameters that are used for expectations. So again, using similar example, you can say I want my fabric uh, utilization not to go over 50% on all my fabric mm. links. But let's say again, you go and put some spines into maintenance mode. Because of this change, you expect that the traffic is going to go up and you can actually have this 50% parameter be dynamically calculated based on the state of your source right. of the truth.
2: So taking your spines in and out of service is actually just an autonomic, like a, an auto magic functionality. Exactly. It'll say, I can do this. And as somebody who had to upgrade 12 spine switches and the switches took 45 minutes each to upgrade, that would actually have been a nice feature. Yeah. Um I wanted to talk. You might about actually sleep that night, right? <laughs> I didn't in the end. I only did half of them. Came back the next day and did the rest of them. <clears throat> Got paid for two days instead of one. Um, <laughs> a big spender. Yeah, yeah. So, one of the other things, too, as part of the preparation for the podcast, Sasha, we were talking about your software architecture. And you were indicating that it, these intent based systems, the, the way you write the software matters a lot. And you are talking particularly about parallelism and this ability to do multiple requests at once. And that's. So anybody could build an intent-based system. Well, not anybody, but there are intent-based systems and then the actual software mechanics matters. Do you want to explain that?
1: Sure. So again, as I said, this intent represented as a graph can become fairly complex. Our decent size intent has millions of objects in it. So now
2: if you had a... Each process. Well, it's not just objects; it's the connections between the objects. Exactly, exactly. And that's what it. So, where? So, just to jump back a little bit. Normally, in a SQL database, you have an index, and then you have the data in a row, mm-hmm. right? And that's uh, a, It's not a. That's not a graph. The idea behind a graph is that you have an object, and you have connecti- connections between every. every other object in the system that makes sense. And so when you traverse a graph database, you select where you are in the node, and then you choose which one of your next nodes are. And you can create arbitrary connections between any node anywhere in multiple dimensions. And that's why it's very different in if you in the audience don't make sense of that, just go and read the Wikipedia article, which will talk about graph, G-R-A-P-H databases, and it'll give you enough insight to sort of comprehend that. So, if you're thinking about graph databases, don't think SQL, don't think structured, don't think tables, it's quite different. So,
1: right. Yeah. So, you know, one difference is in SQL, you, you structure databases and, and tables based on the queries that you expect to, to run. Um, but, what if you don 't know what queries you want to run up front mm. yes. which, which is the case in, in you know with changing uh, network features and business rules yep. so with graph databases you don 't have that that problem actually. You can simply create dynamically new relationships and then mm-hmm. they
2: allow you to actually get answers that you care about and that 's important in a network because you might have let me take the simplest case again you might have an Ethernet to port in the network. Today And today it might be an access port with server X attached to it that's running application A. But tomorrow it might be a VMware server that has 50 VMs with 50 different apps on it. Correct. So that you can't use a normal database to do that because you, you have to be able to add and delete connections between those facts Correct. in the database.
1: Yes, absolutely. And then on top of that, you have to actually scale the processing of these changes because, mm. again, imagine this huge, huge uh, database. Now there is a change in it. And we I, we have mentioned this many different reasoning plugins. If every plugin was reacting to every change and then say, well, I don't care about this, that wouldn't scale. What we actually do support is executional, these par- parallel processes that can su- subscribe to a small subset of state mm. that they care about and then these processes can be horizontally scaled and placed on a servers and you know you can have as many as them as you want. Mm. So the ability to actually specify a subscription to a subset of interest is actually extremely important. And again, it comes for free in, in AOS.
2: So if something happens so if telemetry discovers something that deltas in the network, an object in the graph changes, then you've got these processes constantly monitoring multiple points in the in the multidimensional architecture. And then all of a sudden those things can start to flag that something's come out of whack, you've exceeded a threshold or whatever. But to do that, you have to parallelize, and that to, all those monitoring processes have to be parallelized. And that to me sounds like just hard software grind to make that go.
1: Correct. If, if, uh, if I were to start this from scratch, this would be the first problem I would focus on, and it's a very hard problem to solve, but right. we, we have it done.
2: <laughs> so I- he who wants to do intent-based networking today has got to have solved that problem. And it's not just just going to appear out of the that woodwork is, just that because right. you yeah. and,
4: and you know what? I'm going to extend that um, statement. It's it's not just he he or she hmm. that wants to do it it it,
2: it? yep um,
4: or whatever is appropriate mm-hmm. and correct in today's parlance Seb. them they, <laughs> them sis whatever uh, them them z that wants to do intent based networking. Um, it's not. It's not just intent-based networking. The network. It, this is the thing. Um, the network is a living thing that's constantly in motion, right? It's. It's uh, when you want to develop against it or develop automation against it. It's not something where you can just write a little script and run it and, and does some nifty automation thing. It's, you know, if you really meaningfully want to change the way we do networking um, in terms of automation, then you have to account for the fact that it's a living thing, hmm. and and. Uh, uh, and this is what intent-based networking gives you, right? It's it's real, meaningful network automation, and it's, it's so it's not just about intent-based networking; it's about automating the network um, in a way that's you know in a meaningful way. So, okay, question about this: We've got all of this
0: to do networking. However, this really sounds like we're solving maybe we're applying this technology to networking, but intent-based could mean anything up and down the IT stack potentially. Is that true?
1: There is not nothing networking-specific in our architecture. Yeah. You know, it's all about this uh, what we call reference design cartridges. You know, but again, what goes into them, it's not necessarily specific to networking. You
0: know, in other words, you could write a cartridge that's non-networking that is using intent to solve well, some with- other...
4: Oh, over the IT and, and, you know, to be shameless here with the abstract operating system, the answer is yes. With that platform, if you wanted to automate something other than the network, all you have to do is model it. And, and ah the Abstra operating system,
0: where does that sit? Is that like a central controller running AOS or where does that fit into things? I know we've talked about this in the past, but I think it's kind of important to bring it back up.
1: Yes, yeah, so uh, so the architecture consists of, uh, as I said, the center of the architecture is distributed data store, which serves as a logical communication channel between the agents. So there is, you know, uh, a set of processes that manage the store, and then there is a set of agents that interact with managed infrastructure. So yes, there is a server with set of processes that manage distributed state and all these reasoning agents.
0: And the agents then are running on switches themselves, the endpoints that are
1: being uh, managed under the system? Correct. So we have we have a couple of options there. So agents can run on the on the devices, and or agents can work in a proxy mode where they talk to the managed element via whatever protocol is supported. And again, this proxy agent may be talking to a switch, but this proxy agent may be also talking to a third-party system that you want to build integration with. You'd be talking to VMware or AWS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And and the whole architecture is is built out of these stateless agents. Even this application agent that perform this rendering of a configuration, for example, that, that right. sit on our server, they are the same anatomically as the agent that sits on, sits on a device.
0: And, and Derek, I think you just said something really important there. I was nodding my head vigorously. You said...
4: Yeah, it, it, was, big, be, it was kind of creepy, actually, it, when you were nodding. It, not it, it, it be, was weird.
0: It could be AWS. You're kind of making the point that whatever it is that's being managed you're abstracting it away with that agent if you will and then allowing the system to just kind of manage it for you so you can bring all endpoints of your system under the care and feeding of the one or well, the one source of truth
1: exactly as i said the main problem we are solving is composability at scale mm. it's kind of like you know one ring to rule them all one ring yeah. to find well, them <laughs> you know what that's
4: actually that's actually it's an interesting uh, question because um, the thing is if you don't want to conflate a bunch of systems right i mean there's a lot of different there's a lot of overlapping and interdependent systems inside of an IT infrastructure and if you didn't want to put them all under the control of a single server you could model multiple independent processes separately and have multiple servers managing those processes separately you don't really have to have a single controller to rule them all okay so now now I want to now I want to get down to something real
0: uh, kind of specific and personal if I'm a network engineer and I've been listening to this show, I've gone, this is some interesting technology. Maybe it's the first time I've heard about it. I'm trying to wrap my brain around it. I kinda get it. Uh, but maybe I'm going, it just feels like one more thing that's gonna maybe complicate my life. It's not gonna be like I've bought I got five hundred tools here, three of which I use, one of which I like. This is like, why do I why does this make my life better? Is that a do you see the the point I'm making? You should be nodding your head vigorously too because we, we've been both been down this road of, of crappy tools that we spent a lot of money on that didn't make life better at the end of oh, the day. Oh, this
4: is my, yeah, this is my story, right? Um, on the on the vendor side is like, you know, I've, I've lived through this history of tools that did not deliver on the promise or they just barf loads of information at network engineers and it's information that is actually not very useful to accomplish much, much of anything. We pay lots of money for those tools to produce lots of pretty graphs, very colorful graphs that do not meaningfully impact our lives, or uh, you know, they they do some automation, but they're very narrow in terms of vendor or platforms um, that they support, or um, features that they support, right? Protocols they support, stuff like that. So what what this does is, you know, right now there's a lot of people trying to trying to automate different aspects of their network, and there's there's a right and there's a wrong way to capture the complexity of the network so that someone can. Uh, do meaningful automations without having to have a computer science PhD. And, and this is the, and this is really, you know, if we're going to get down to um, brass tacks, this is what it's about. Um, Automating the network. I said before, it's a living entity. It's a living distributed system that is incredibly difficult to do. And I, and I, this is a realization I've come to Um, you. It's there's so many parts to doing it correctly that it's unless you have a team of PhDs like Google or Facebook or whatever, um, you cannot meaningfully automate the network unless you're, you know, maybe your network is ten nodes and it never changes, and you can automate things that way because the network itself will never change. But what happens if there's a merger, an acquisition? What if you're larger than that and your network is always changing, right? And you have real constraints of actual networks. You know, you've you've been down this road, right? Someone says, "Well, we got to add this application," and then you you pull up your handy guide and you know your 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 design standards, and it says, "Well, we're going to add these leaf nodes," but. Then you go to add the leaf nodes and then the power guys come back and say oh well there's a problem we can only add two more racks in this room because of power so we are gonna have to put the other four racks in this other room and by the way we only have this much space for this much fiber so um you know this is going to drastically impact the con the congruency of your network and then you're violating your design standards right um
2: <laughs> you know what i'm saying i I, mean, I do and i think ultimately what it comes down to is when when we first started talking about software-defined networking, I was never actually all that caught up in the mechanics of it. What I saw it as a way of avoiding the bad part, like the ugly part of you know this uh, the tedious detail of configuring something at the CLI day in, day out. But automation with Python, like handwriting your Python to do a static... Thing Sure, it solves a lot of problems and you can do some fancy Python with the templating and get some Ansible or Salt or Chef or Puppet or whatever it is that you particularly like for it. And you can start to get some flexibility, but you don't actually get any intelligence. It's still linear from the top down. That's right. What I really want is something that's going to be able to give me an assist here. I I don't want to buy a car and then have to put a horse in front of it and drag it down the road, which is kind of where a lot of this programming is, right? Because... What I want is something that's actually going to to give me the horsepower so that I can actually stop um, doing the tedious, calculating a billion variables in the back of my head and then fingers crossed if it actually works.
4: And that's the difference, right? If When variations like that occur in your network, when you suddenly run against constraints that cause you to... Have deviations in the network. Or exception. This is the thing. Exceptions are the rule in the network. Over time, every network grows organically with exceptions, and that breaks your handmade Python automations, which are linear. And you, then you have to rewrite them. With an intent-based system, you can actually uh, you can compensate for this. You can accommodate I've done, this. Kind I have of thing. been
2: involved in systems where I saw somebody. I saw a team of four people write scripts month in, month out for a year and got it all working and then the project was finished and they walked off within three months the system was unworkable because the exception case is just, and the script, there was nobody was maintaining the scripts and this is where this modelling and these graph databases and this ability to take the objects and just relink them and then link them differently and add metadata and interpreted data and extract, you know, whatever it is and then your ability to go and look up that state. So if you've got these parallels, this is how I understand your architecture. So in an abstract operating system, you've got these threads constantly updating the graph with information that's read, and then you've got these other threads monitoring those nodes in the database and saying, if this changes, then do this. Right. Correct. And That's the, that's the tricky part about your operating system. Or well, the unique thing is that you've got this software architecture which you've actually proven works, which is actually quite a significant feat. Making software work is... Um, the idea is simple, is what we talk about a lot these days. The execution is really very hard. And we know that a lot of vendors struggle to make their execution work or they actually use in their SDM platforms, they do the very simplest things and then charge a lot of money for it because they started out with this great big dream that they're going to change the universe and then they realize that actually just changing someone's mind is about the best they can come up with. Well, right? Well, and it's like... Yeah, well, Greg, it's almost like...
3: As we said earlier, we yeah. want people to be able to find their problems before their customers find them. Yeah. Right? We want people to stop thinking about VLANs and VXLANs and start thinking about how applications need to be segmented. We want people to stop thinking about HA, start defining their uptime requirements. Stop thinking about lag hashing to find the bandwidth requirements. Stop measuring port queue depth and port-to-port latency to find the application performance standards define the standards, define the policies. This system will implement the auditable controls that ensure that this app, your applications on the infrastructure you have meet your policies, exceed your standards, and therefore achieve the governance and regulatory rec- compliance requirements you've set for your business. Okay, but Doug, so, so this is actually a good closing question.
0: So you said stop thinking about lag hashing and stop thinking about all these you know, specific things, VLANs and VXLANs, and a lot of network engineers are going, yeah, but that's all the crap I know. So what skills do I have to have as a network engineer all of a sudden? What shifts for me if I move to intent-based networking? Cool.
3: Think about what's happened. Okay? The, the cloud providers today, are in, I, and it's unfortunate for the network guy, the cloud providers are doing this today in Amazon, Azure, GCP, On behalf of the business, and an unfortunately large number of workloads have moved and will probably continue to move that direction, I believe that we need to be able to build our networks to the same capabilities and standards, and even then exceed them as the cloud providers have. What these cloud providers have are a set of homegrown tools and capabilities that in many cases are very similar to what Sasha's been describing in this podcast. They've had to build it themselves. They're not commercially available until now.
2: Your point being, the game is already up if you yeah. if you hadn't noticed. Yeah. And it's and time for us to upscale. We've talked Bayon. about this many times. I've said to you, yeah. we have to build private clouds that have to be feature comparable to public clouds or people will just go to public clouds. And a lot of, enterprises are saying we don't want to keep capitalising. Some enterprises do want to capitalise these assets and some of them want to move to an OPEX model and they see that going to the public cloud is a way of getting away from the next capital spend. So, sure, but we still have to build private clouds like functionality Inside our data centers where if I click a button, a whole bunch of things happen without me manually touching any of them or having spent months developing a script that does them, which breaks when something changes.
3: If your next network is not as flexible as Amazon, Google, or Azure, the next one you build in a data center, go find a new job.
2: It'll probably it'll, it, You may build it, but it, you won't be around much longer. You won't. I suspect not. And you have to have these software levers to be able to make these changes.
3: I'm a CLI jock, man. I hate saying that. I want But I, the reality I, is yeah. you have to do that,
2: mm. or your network,
3: and therefore your job, well, will be unfortunately well, irrelevant. And it's
2: not even because you're going to be obsolete or because networking is going to, you know, all the things that we do in networking, will still be Ethernet, it'll still be MLEG. The
3: business but, just won't invest in you doing it a third time.
2: Because they'd much rather go and give it to the cloud and just... Get rid of all that, to some extent. And that's not something new, Ethan. We've been talking about that for ages.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it comes up in, in all of our channels in different contexts, and it keeps coming up over and over again. And even today, yeah. we happen to be sitting in Las Vegas recording this at Cisco Live, and we were talking at, to people in the social media hub who were saying, there's a business in figuring out how public cloud works and helping companies get there. Because it's
2: <laughs> happening right now. It's happening right now, yeah. yeah well, they're, guys, they're getting opportunities to go and do public cloud instead of private cloud. Because you
3: know, We're anyway. sitting here at Cisco Live. There's several, like thousands, about 10,000 people running around Vegas right now that love networking. By the way, I was here in November or December. It was Amazon reInvent. You know what? Mm-hmm. There were 30,000 plus people here. <laughs> yeah. And you know what they want to do? Not by networking stuff.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's and, right.
1: And I, and I wanted to, regarding the question about required skills, I want to offer a yeah. very pragmatic answer, which is give us a call and we'll put you in a seat of developer persona and you can experience it yourself like for yep. one day. Mm. We have done it actually with customers and the,
2: the feedback was tremendous. That's a so good point. So, one of the things that? that you told me in the when we were prepping for the show was you literally go, you have like a defined process for a customer engagement. Mm-hmm. There's usually like a first meeting where you outline things, a second meeting where you go to the next level and the third meeting is you actually sit down with them for a day and you say, this is how you create that. Correct the map for the game you know custom do your own custom mod or something like that and once you get to that stage people get it pretty quickly correct so it's your. I kind of took a few things away from that one of them is understanding how this works is not just a listen to one hour podcast you know which thank you very much for listening but you know there's a lot of mechanics in here you have to see it to believe it correct right that's a, good, that's a fair statement. It's and then fair. the second one is, is once you get to configuring the developer stuff, then you'll get the mechanics of how it works. You've got to think like, just like thinking like BGP or thinking like OSPF or thinking like, and honestly, just thinking like OSP, BGP makes my brain hurt because that's a dumb idea. But, you know, it, once you get that far, like you didn't learn BGP overnight, you might have spent three months learning it. Correct. So learning developer modes in that same sort of it takes a while to get there. Not three months, maybe, but
1: no, not three months. As I said, we had sessions that lasted for a day or two, and and we had tremendous feedback about how Mm. much people have learned and felt comfortable about Mm. how the system works Mm. and everything we talk about. Actually, you can touch and feel, so it's none of it is just a fluffy discussion. Mm.
3: So so that's an interesting demo. If somebody wants to get started, I mean, like the the question I guess I've always had is like, okay, so I'm running a network today, and it's running pretty well. It's actually not horrible. It's doing its job. It's a data center, campus, or whatever. How do I use this capability today to solve to make my life easier? Actually, I want to address two things. There was a question just now about uh, it,
4: Doug was just saying uh, previously about not having to think about QDAPs and, and load balancing hash algorithms stuff like that. I, I would actually rephrase reframe that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I would I reframe it and it would answer this uh, your, the same question um, um, that that you just posed now. Um, Right now, we have a vocabulary that limits the way that we can express ourselves because it's too low level. And what intent gives you is a vocabulary that's... uh that's a lot more powerful, and, and it's a little bit higher level, going from the device level to the network level, right? And what you can, what intent can do for you now, if you want to see the demo, if you want to learn how to do this, is it, it, it allows you to develop this vocabulary at the, at the network level that allows you, you only have to deal with these lower-level details when it's necessary. And you can start using this higher-level vocabulary to get stuff done faster, uh, with less mistakes, with less outages, with less risk, and, it, and that's incredibly mean, meaningful to network engineer. I used to, we, we had a saying when I was in my last shop, which is, we'll cross that bridge when it's on fire. And, and, and you I know, I, that was a terrible way to work every single day. And with a system like this, um, you know, you don't, there's less fiery bridges that you're going to cross. <laughs> what was it like
3: working for the government, Derek? Yeah,
2: that's true. <laughs> well, you only care about the bridge when it's on fire. <laughs> so then you cross it, yeah. But, but what you're
3: saying is you, you, you really created a, an ontology for networking that expresses a new taxonomy of terms and definitions that can be used to define what the network should be. And then the configuration that is on the device now is an expression of that as opposed to the truth of what the system should be. You know, one of the most eye-opening things for me, I was
4: I was uh, raised as a Cisco IOS engineer, just like everyone else. Um, when they became a network engineer, and and I had this uh, moment, it was almost like you know seeing the light for a second. When somebody, I, I heard so many things about Junos, right back in early two thousands. I heard so many good things about it, but I didn't wrap my head around what it was until I actually put my fingers on it. And and then I started playing with it and I realized this is what they're talking about when they say this, that, or the other thing. And and intent-based networking is the same way. When I came to abstra and I, and I, I I heard out of Sasha's mouth, all of these words, right. Um, in the beginning, you know, there's, he says all these, you know, things. And, and if you're not, if you don't know what intent-based networking is, it can be a little overwhelming. And after a few months I had, it was almost the same experience over again. I'm like, wow, now that I've been playing with AOS, I'm starting to see it. It's just like. You know, that experience I had with Junos, like things can be different. And the best way to understand it is not just to listen to podcasts, but to play with it. Get your hands on it. Experience what you can do with it. And then, then you'll start wrapping your head around it. Okay. So, so,
0: Derek, all of that being the case, then real straightforward and obvious stuff. Where do I go if I want to uh, learn more about
4: abstract, uh, get a demo and that kind of stuff? URL? Uh, where, where should I go? So you can actually, uh, you can go to our website, Um You can also follow us on Twitter, at Abstra Inc. Um, you can follow myself, at Cloud Toad. Um, actually, we all have at uh, something something. Um, I don't know what all of those are. I'll let Doug speak to his. What is yours? Uh, at D. At Flaming Pink Murder Machine. That's, <laughs> that's Doug's. No, no, no. That, that was Unicorn. Oh, Unicorn. com. Uh, So, I mean, you you can go to our website, you can follow us on Twitter. We have, uh, you know, lots of interesting things we post on Twitter um, about intent-based networking, about new developments in networking, uh, not just about us, that we post there. And uh, you can reach out to us. We have videos. We have webinars. We have... You know, uh, we have a plethora of resources for you to, you know, to dive in. And then, you know, finally, if you really want to uh, play with it, we have an open source repository of tools you can you can play with now that um, that that allow you to start experimenting with this. And then, finally, if you want, if you actually want, you know, uh, to take that next step, you can you know you can schedule time. You can uh, you can get AOS in your lab, and you can start uh, you know you can start experimenting.
2: So I just want a quick statement Is that this week we saw Cisco talk about Its intent based networking strategy for the campus It's called software Defined access It's got a couple of different names It's just been launched ahead of Cisco Live And it is intent based networking In every way shape or form it's, The idea is, is that you want some business And then you want these devices to work it the way it was And to do it they've actually talked about Introducing a whole new range of switches As well as a whole new range of software Which will roll out over the next two years yeah, so, this, the, Right this, this is an announcement of a Effectively a coming strategy Yes But the point is that it's intent-based. That is, uh, we know basically what we need to achieve. And in the back, there's a magic engine that does all of this stuff for you. So if you're sitting here thinking, oh, this intent-based thing is just a weird thing that's coming from out left field, actually, it's mainstream. And the fact that Cisco's coming out with something along these lines is a validation of this approach. Well, well,
3: yeah, Greg, I mean, this last week with Chuck Robbins getting on stage and saying, intent-based networking is the future of networking for the next 30 years is an absolute validation. On top of that, like you said, it's years away from any singular hardware-bound vendor because what they're going to do is the same thing they've done with SDN, which was try to, let's turn this to my use to drive my product. The great thing about what Appster has done here is it's built a capability that's available today that's multi-vendor and in no way locks you in.
0: It's an equalizer. Yeah,
3: an equalizer. It's a good way to look at
0: it. Okay, let's close the show right there. Thank you very much for listening to The Priority Queue and our special thanks to App for sponsoring the show today. Without our sponsors, we are not able to do what we do here at the Packet Pushers Network. You can find this and many more of our fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushers.net. Follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. Find us on LinkedIn. Like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Last but not least... Remember that too much technology would never be enough.